0: You're listening to Tell It from Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here's today's message. Good morning again. We praise God for a wonderful installation service last Sunday. It was great to see so many of you, uh, or so many of our church family that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, And I'm also grateful for many of you who worked so hard to make the service and the reception a memorable event. Uh, Now that's behind us, so let us lean into the calling the Lord has given us as a church to engage the city and impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to alert you to two opportunities to do just that, to share Christ with people in our city. Uh, You will hear more about this during the announcements. First, Good Friday and Easter are less than a month away. Uh, These are times when people are more open to attending uh, church services. Last week or two weeks ago you received a letter requesting you to list people that uh, in your circle that you can invite for this service uh, today at the end of the service you pick up uh, you can pick up these invitation cards that list the, the the service timings and location and so on so that you can give them to the people on your list but more importantly pray for those people on that list and be alert to opportunities the lord would give you to share christ with them uh, second our council of missions has some exciting short-term opportunities, short-term mission trips for you to impact the city, uh, impact the world by engaging the city. That's right. You you can have a global impact while you stay local. So at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for these local short-term mission trips. So uh, do that as well. Those are exciting opportunities in front of us to engage the city and impact the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer before we go to uh, His Word. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus, who is indeed above all, above all powers, authorities, dominions. He is Lord of all. Uh, we thank you for the joy and privilege that you've given us to be His people, because there is no other name under the name under heaven by which we may be saved and all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved and by your spirit we are people who have called upon his name who have been saved by his grace uh, your grace to us in him through faith in him and we are now your people who come before your throne of grace what a glorious uh, privilege and we come now to hear from you teach us from your word through your spirit so that we may be moved to faith and obedience that witnesses to the Lord Jesus for your glory, and we ask in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know people who have the most uh, powerful and latest electronic devices, but uh, but use just a minuscule of their potential? I'm not confessing anything here. Uh, you know, they own these great i7 uh, laptops with i7 processors, but they use it for browsing the internet and maybe doing Microsoft Office software. Or they have the iPad Pro, the biggest one, and all they do is doodle on it. Uh, And they have this, uh, you know, mirrorless, full-frame cameras that that are capable of all kinds of things and all they do is take pictures of their cat to put on (laughs) Instagram, you know? We all know people like that. I don't have any cats. Uh, I do have a dog, uh, too. You get the drift. Uh, They possess amazing equipment, but receive paltry benefits from what they are capable of. Our lives as uh, believers in Christ are sometimes that way too. We have blessings beyond belief, but those blessings don't find expression in our lives. Uh, Someone said we have a million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response to it. This morning, uh, we look at a section in Ephesians where Paul prays that uh, the Ephesians will be aware of and live out the blessings they have received from God in Christ. I should remember to use this. I can do only one thing at a time sometimes. There you go we as christians are immensely blessed as we saw last week we praise god from whom all our blessings flow we praise the father who chose us we praise the son in whom we are redeemed we praise the spirit who is the guarantee of our redemption we praise god that he chose us before the foundation of the world redeemed us through the death and resurrection of his son adopted us as his children made us his own inheritance and has disclosed to us his plans to gather all things under Christ and make this broken world whole again in Jesus Christ however while we may pray praise God for this for these blessings uh, we may not live out these realities that flow from these blessings to their full extent this morning we're going to consider Paul's prayer for the Ephesians we along with them are called to understand the blessings we have received from God in Christ so that we may live them out as as witnesses in the world. How do we live out our blessings that we have received from God in Christ Jesus and guaranteed by the Spirit? First, we need to grow in our awareness of what these blessings are. And that's exactly what Paul is going to pray for these Ephesians. Only as we grow in our understanding of what God has done for us, can we live in light of those blessings that we have received from him as witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ, I have uh, promised you this outline every week. So here it is. Uh, all all Greco Roman letters open up with a greeting followed by a prayer. But Paul breaks convention here and interjects a doxology, which we saw lo- last week uh, in praise of God, a 202 word, single sentence praise for God before he resumes the conventional practice of a thanksgiving and prayer for the recipients. So this morning we come to the third section in the letter, uh, verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1, and and that would move us into chapter 2. In in chapter 1, 15 to 23, this third section, Paul gives thanks to God for the Ephesians, and he prays for them. And again, we have a single sentence, not as long as the previous one, That one was 202 words. This is only 169 words in the Greek text. Verse 15 to 23 can be divided into three sections. Isn't that a whole chapter in three sentences? Well, the first one doesn't even count as a sentence. The second one and third one are single sentences. I wish I could write long sentences and get away with this. But let's get back here. First, in verses 15 to 16, Paul gives thanks to God for the good news that he has heard about the Ephesians that they walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, and that faith finds expression in their lives as love for one another however the Ephesians still need to grow in their faith and in their obedience and uh, so Paul prays for them in verses 17 to 19 that the Spirit of God will illumine them and help them to know God by knowing his blessings that he has bestowed upon them the blessings that he has in mind as we're going to see are the hope that God has given them through their calling And how greatly they are valued by God who has taken them as his own inheritance. And then the unequaled power of God that was available for their new lives in Christ. And then uh, this focus on the power of God uh, causes Paul to describe further this power that is in Christ that is available to us for Uh, our our lives together in the last section in verses 20 through 23 so first he opens with the Thanksgiving followed by his actual prayer for them followed by an elaboration of one of the things that he prayed that they would understand the power of God so turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 and following in verses 15 and 16 Paul first gives thanks to God for their faith and love we read for this reason Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, Paul writes, for what reason? For reasons just stated in verses 3 to 14, his doxology. All that God has done to bless this. So Paul's prayer and thanksgiving in this section are intimately tied to the the previous section where he praised God for his blessings bestowed in his son and guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. The doxology, as we are going to see as we make our way through the letter, has bearing on everything that Paul has to say in this epistle to the Ephesians, and this section is no different. We will see many of the same themes that Paul addressed in the doxology in the previous section in this third section of the letter. The Trinity, faith, love, inheritance, glory, Christ's supremacy, and God's plan for history to sum up all things in Christ. We heard that in the previous section. We're going to hear them again in this section. Paul's thanksgiving and prayer for the Ephesians is prompted by all that he had just praised God for in the doxology that just concluded in verse 14. In his uh, second letter to the Corinthians, Paul lists all the hardships that he has suffered on behalf of Christ, shipwrecks, beatings, Imprisonment and on and on, and it's in- interesting that he climaxes that list of hardships with the daily pressure that he faced uh, by his anxiety for all the churches. He says, and-, and that drove him to his knees to to pray for the churches. But however, as we look at his epistles, it's not the- his anxieties for the churches that drive him to his knees in every one of his letters, except for Galatians. Uh, he is mad at them for falling for a perverted gospel. He gives thanks to God uh, for, uh, for what he's doing in those churches. He even finds reason to give thanks for those troublesome Corinthians, for what God is going to do in them and through them ultimately. Here in, in Ephesians, he's so filled with gratitude for God, uh, for what he's doing in the Ephesians church, that he says he, he does not cease to give thanks for them that is he never lacks a reason to be thankful for them and 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 specifically is thankful for the faith and love of the Ephesians faith and love are two of the three cardinal virtues the Ephesians seem to be excelling in two of them and interestingly uh, he will pray that they will be more aware of the third one uh, hope that that they would realize the hope that they have in Christ Jesus so faith in Christ Jesus To be genuine is to be accompanied by love for other believers. It's only by our love for one another that we witness to the world that we have trusted in Christ. The apostles James and John agree and insist on this. Faith in God that is uh, unaccompanied by the good works of love for neighbor is dead. One cannot be rightly related to God and Christ without at the same time loving others who are united Christ. Paul is thankful for the Ephesians that their faith in Christ was indeed expressing itself in love, as he would write to the Galatians for the saints. He models here in his initial thanksgiving what he writes uh, to the Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he made known his thanksgiving. Now he's going to present his request to God concerning these Ephesians in verses 17 through 19. Paul writes, uh, Remembering you in my prayers is how we concluded verse 16. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? He begins his doxology addressing God in the same... He begins this prayer uh, addressing God in the same way he addressed him in the doxology before this. God is identified as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his prayer is that God would illumine, illumine the Ephesians through, uh, through the Holy Spirit. So, once again, we, have, we see the Trinity, the one God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Father is described as glorious, even as He was in the previous section. And He does all things to the praise of His glory, because it is in His glory we find our good. The Son is addressed as Lord and Christ. Paul will address the Lordship, the sovereignty of Christ, in the latter part of this uh, section. The Spirit is the one through whom God makes himself and his works known to his people. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot know God. And Paul prays for illumination by the Spirit in verse 17, that you may give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So there's really one prayer request here in three parts. Paul prays that God will give the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. As those who have been united to Christ by faith, they already received the Holy Spirit. And what Paul prays for them here is that they have a greater measure of the illumining work of the Holy Spirit that they may have a deeper understanding through the Spirit of who God is by knowing what God has done for them in Christ this is very similar to what he would ask later in chapter 5 that they would be filled with the Spirit they can't have more of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person so they already have the Spirit but the filling in the chapter 5 is that their their lives and their relationship to one another whether it's husband and wives or life in the body or parents and children would be Spirit-controlled lives but here the greater measure of the spirit's presence is toward expanding their knowledge of god by knowing what god has done for them we can see in verse 18 uh, paul is seeking the enlight- their enlightenment by the spirit concerning what god has done for them uh, the niv puts it that they may know him better That's what Paul's request for them is. One commentator writes, when Paul is referring to, what Paul is referring to here is not true, the new truths about salvation history, the nature of God or other doctrine, but an illumining work of the spirit to impress already revealed truth about God into the conscious reflections and heartfelt convictions of the readers. I've been married for 22 years this May And I'm still getting to know Laura better every year than I knew her the previous year. If that's the case with us and our limited lives, how much more we need to grow in the knowledge of our infinite God and what he has done for us. This enlightenment concerning God is only possible by the Spirit. We can't figure it out on our own. He prays for the enlightenment of of the Spirit concerning Three things that God has done for us and for the Ephesians. First, that they may have a full awareness of the hope that is theirs in God. Second, that they may know how much God values them. Third, he prays that they would be aware of the mighty power of God that is available to them to live out their calling. The first two requests concern the future, but they have implications for the present. The third petition is more uh The emphasis is more on their lives in the present, but it doesn't lose sight of what God has in store for them in the future. So let's look at these three requests that Paul presents to God for the Ephesians. First, he prays that they would know their hope of their calling. They would know what God has called them to, what God has stored for them, that they would be aware of the significance of God's calling for their future. Their future is not in the hands of uh, the powers or of fate, but in God. has called them for a purpose and will carry it to completion as Paul wrote to the uh, Romans those who are called are those whom he had predestined to be justified and to be glorified God will guarantee that that happens Paul prays that they will grasp the significance of what God has done for them and will do for them in Christ that uh, that that they would grant them and us the sure conviction that in Christ, death is not the end. We too will be raised. We will be glorified. We will dwell with God forever. That's our future, that's our calling. Nothing can separate us from this sure hope in Christ. And this is not just true of individual believers. The church as a whole has this hope, even as we will see in chapter five. Christ will present the church to himself in all purity and in glory as his bride. The church has a bright future with her Lord and groom. And Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would be so assured of this hope for their future that it will be made manifest in their lives together in the present. Second, Paul prays that uh, they would know how much God greatly values them. The emphasis here is not on the inheritance that they will receive from God, but that we the, we and they are God's inheritance. Israel in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 29, and in other places, uh, is called God's own inheritance. Paul speaks of believers the same way, as God's glorious inheritance. He has said earlier that God chose us, God predestined us, God redeemed us, God sealed us. We are indeed his possession, his inheritance. God values and cherishes us not because of who we are we are dust but because of his own great character by which uh, for unfathomable reasons he loves us Paul prays that the Ephesians would know their value as God's people and what they mean to him as his inheritance in the ancient world and in many places even today the church was often a a demeaned oppressed minority Uh, what great assurance for God's people in Ephesus and places like there today that uh, they are God's own possession God has made them their own they belong to God Uh, we see that in uh, African-American history in uh, in, even in America slavery demeaned them but they found their worth and and their value in who God said they are the people of God and we see them still walking in faith uh, in this great God who was theirs in spite of all the hardships they suffered no wonder Paul prays that the spirit would enlighten them on their value in the eyes of God and his third petition is that they would know God's power and that's his final petition but it expands into a description of what he prays for them he prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might power might greatness he, he uses up just about every word in the Greek vocabulary for power because no word is sufficient to, in itself to, uh, to describe God's greatness, his power, his omnipotence. He prays that they will be aware of and live in light of God's power that is at work in, the, in their lives. And only the Spirit of God can impress upon them how vast beyond measure is God's power that is at work in us and for us through Christ. We sing songs like we sang last Sunday, I sing the mighty power of God, or as children, there is power, power, wonder-working power. But do we know the extent of that power? Is there evidence in our lives that that power is at work in us as we live lives that are pleasing to God as witnesses for Christ? Paul's prayer Is that the Ephesians would understand and be aware of the blessings that they have received from our triune God. Hope, worth, power. Why? So that they may live in light of them. He calls on God to open their eyes so that they may see their new station in life as a result of God's work on their behalf. They are in need of such a vision and we too that will lead to transformed lives to the praise of God's glory. Three petitions have been addressed to God, but the prayer, but before he he ends his prayer, this last petition sparks in him such a wonder for God's power that he goes on to describe it further in the last four verses of this uh, section. We read in verses 20 to 23, uh, he concluded 19, his great might Paul is not thinking of God's power in creation, but rather he looks at God's work in Christ as the best demonstration of God's power and might and greatness. God's great power is known in Christ's resurrection, in his exaltation, in his sovereignty, and his work in and for the church. First, Paul looks at the resurrection, God's the demonstration of God's power in the raising up of his son, Jesus, from the dead. Paul sees that as the greatest demonstration of God's power, even more than creation. The resurrection stands at the center of our faith. Paul would write to the Corinthians, If Christ has not been raised, then our, pre- our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But Christ has indeed been raised. Christ's resurrection is the beginning of new creation. It is the first fruits of the future resurrection of all those who belong to Christ. It is the same resurrecting power of God that is at work in our lives now to empower us for our new lives in Christ. Think of that. From death to life. Dead, buried to breathing and alive that's the power that's at work in us so that we may live a godly life secondly the the, the the power of God is demonstrated in the exaltation of his resurrected son to his right hand God has seated the resurrected Christ at his right hand in heavenly places we saw that phrase the heavenly places before in the doxology and we will see it again several times uh, this heavenly uh, places is, is the realm of supernatural beings God reigns supreme there, but other powers are present as well, evil powers. And and their activities in that realm has bearing on life here on earth. How much ever these evil powers are present, they are subject to the reign of God. And because of God's exaltation of Christ to to his right hand, they are also subject to the reign of Christ. Uh, We we hear this phrase in the echo of Psalm 110 uh, the most often quoted messianic psalm in the New Testament Uh, Jesus himself would uh, say this the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet Christ shares in the glory honor and power of God he shares the authority of God and is entitled to the same worship that is offered to God and even at the end of the age, in the new creation, the Lamb is still on the throne with the God with, with God. That power of the sovereign, exalted Christ is ours to live our lives as witnesses to him. Thirdly, Paul speaks of the power of God and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is exalted, he says. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, Christ is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Paul is not going to bother with naming all the powers that are there over which Christ reigns. He sums them all up and says, there is no power on earth or on heaven above over which Christ does not reign. That is not under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That's what he affirms in Philippians chapter 2. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The power of the sovereign Lord of the universe is for us. And that's what Paul would say in the last Uh, section the final word concerning God's power is that he exercised he exercises it through Christ but for the benefit of the church we are beneficiaries of Christ's rule and authority Uh, we hear an echo of Psalm 8 where the psalmist exults uh, in wonder that God has placed all created uh, earthly beings under the authority of human beings but here Paul rejoices in Christ's universal Lordship. He's Lord of all. That good news is heightened even more because Paul says that the rule of Christ is to the benefit of the church. God has given Christ, he says, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. The church, which is the body of Christ, shares in the victory of christ in his reign over the powers the church need not fear nor submit to the powers the lord of the church is the lord of all this was, this is what christ himself asserts at his great at the great commission at the end of matthew all authority in heaven and on earth is being given to me because of that he says go therefore And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. The church engages in its mission mission of discipling the nations by the authority of the Lord, who is the Lord of all nations, and even heaven and earth. The last phrase in the passage, uh, the fullness of him who fills all in all, uh, is fraught with grammatical difficulties and scholars spend pages discussing that i'll just go with the best option that fits the context what paul is saying is that church is so filled with the power of the risen exalted and sovereign lord that it is he it is he who through the church and its and its mission makes disciples of all nations it is through the church he extends his authority to the ends of the earth what a glorious privilege that we have that the Lord of the universe chooses to work through people like you and me. Uh, we will look at the Matthew 28 passage uh, when, um, we, uh, on Easter Sunday, and you look at the bunch that is gathered before him whom Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth and disciple all nations, like us? It's not them. It's the one who has all the authority and whose authority is invested in us. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the essence of of the Gospel and the church is entrusted with his authority and accompanied by his presence by his spirits to proclaim that Lordship as far as the curse is found God through our spirit empowered and Christ authorized mission will gather up all things under Christ even as Paul described in his declared in his doxology in that gathering up of all things all creation will be renewed and God will be all in all so we have looked at Ephesians 5 Ephesians 1 15 to 23 as scripted we have tried to understand what is written but what is written is not just for our understanding but a script for our lives how are we to live Paul's thanksgiving and his prayer for the Ephesians first this is a prayer So we begin with intercessory prayer. Paul prays without ceasing for the church. Specifically here, he prays for the church to be aware of its hope, its value, and its power in Christ. We too pray for the church, for ourselves, for one another. But as we look at Paul's prayer here, is there much resemblance between his prayer for the church and our prayers for each other and for ourselves? I mean, don't get me wrong, we pray for important things, for world affairs, uh, personal needs, needs of others, God's guidance and direction, and more. All that's good. However, if you look at the prayers of Scripture, those of Paul, there are many. Um, and, the, and the early church in the book of Acts, especially the prayer in Acts chapter 4. And even in the Old Testament, the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1, uh, the prayers of the psalmist, they all seem just a bit different than how we pray. The disciples asked our Lord to teach them to pray and we recite that prayer uh, every time we gather on Sundays. But the Lord, who not only taught them then, teaches us now even through his word as to how we ought to pray. The prayers of scripture, uh, they recount God's great acts in history for for his people what he has done and will do in Christ. Uh, they, they give thanks to God for his faithfulness, for his goodness, for his mercy and his kindness. Only then they are ready to present their petitions to God with full confidence that his answer, according to his good will and pleasure, is what is good for us. May I suggest to you, especially if you are in a small group uh, that's focused on prayer, that you uh, study together uh, this very important book by a a well-known scholar for the church, Carson. He writes, uh, this book's called Praying with Paul, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He looks at all the prayers of Paul and, and, and how those prayers form us and how we ought to pray. But before you buy a book, the first step would be to just Pray this prayer that we looked at for ourselves and for our loved ones this week. Uh, it will change what we think of what we or they need from God. Our prayers will be transformed when we study and pray according to the prayers that we find in Scripture. Secondly, Paul's triad—faith, hope, and love—appeared in the Doxology and appears here as well. He thanks God for, the, for the, their faith and their love. Even as he prays that they would grow in the awareness of the hope that they have. How are we doing in this uh, triad of faith, hope, and love? Most, if not all of you here, are, are people who have put their faith or professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that faith made evident in our love for one another? Will the watching world look at us, look at us and say, See how they love one another? We, we celebrate our diversity, and, and that's wonderful. Uh, But how is our love for one another, especially when we disagree? Our Lord has made it very clear that it is only by our love that the world would know that we are his disciples. And also our love for one another overflows uh, to love for others outside the body, even our enemies. Uh, All all that God has made is capable of love, but love for others uh, beyond uh, those that we ought to love, uh, into even loving the, our enemies is a love that only the Spirit can produce in us. How about hope? Uh, where is our hope centered? You know, one of the good out- outcomes of the pandemic, and there are very few, is that in the last two years, uh, we have become aware of the unreliability of the things that we used to put our hope in. Right? Um, but what have we learned in these last uh, two years as how our hopes turned to the sure hope that God has for us in the value that he has placed on us by making us his inheritance or are we still clinging to those uh, shiny little trinkets of the world if our hope is in the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead the power that we have against sin to say no to sin uh, it will be very evident in our witness how, 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 it will be made evident in to whom we align ourselves faith in God hope in, faith in Christ hope in God, love for one another these are the things that bear witness in our lives that we belong to God in Christ Jesus the powers we will encounter them over and over again in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Later in, in the letter, we will find that these powers are arrayed against us and at, uh, and at war with us. Here, uh, Paul calls us only to an awareness of this power. And later on, he will instruct us as to how we ought to wage spiritual warfare against these powers. Here, he wants to assure us that these powers, however great they may be, are defeated foes. Uh, their end is sure. And they are subject even now to Christ who reigns supreme over them all. We can live in the quiet confidence in Christ that these powers will ultimately hold no sway over our lives. We belong to the one who is above all powers. Finally, we live out this passage by recognizing that, that Christ's power above all things is for the church. Paul concludes this section of the letter with an affirmation that the God who raised, exalted, and placed Christ as sovereign over all powers has done so for the benefit of the church, which is his body, of which he is the head. We owe our allegiance to Christ alone. Uh, It is foolish to seek to align ourselves with the earthly powers, whether they be White House or the Gracie Mansion or or even people we think uh, who are powerful in our workplace. You know, I have been invited to uh, the the prayer breakfast at the president's house. Well, you know, that's nice, but this morning I was before the throne of God. <laughs> you know, which is of greater worth and value? Right, we need not fear Kremlin or Beijing or seek favor with Washington. Uh, our, prior, our, our power in Christ is so different from how this world sees Power that we can never gain that power that God has for us from any earthly source or worldly source. Our Lord is Lord of all. Uh, But even more than that, this passage tells us that God has not left the church as a spectator um, of what he's doing and will do in the world. The church is filled with the fullness of Christ and is entrusted with the mission of proclaiming him as Lord to the ends of the earth if we faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit Christ draws all people to himself people from all nations and his reign will be established through the church even to the ends of the earth one day when we stand before God in Christ and we are surrounded by people from every tribe tongue and nation we can rejoice that God included us in his mission to gather all nations, all creatures under Christ to make them new. We have two very practical ways of doing that even today. Invite people for our Good Friday and Easter services, but don't wait till those services. That's a month away. If God gives you the opportunity to share Christ with them today, do that. Also sign up for the short-term missions opportunities this summer uh, that, uh, as, you, as you leave this morning. We have a great and glorious mission because of our relationship with our Lord. But, being, but engaging in that mission requires us to be aware of those great blessings with which God has blessed us, the hope of our calling, the infinite worth he has placed in us by making us his own possession, his inheritance, and his great power. The power by which he raised, exalted, and established his son as the sovereign Lord of the universe is the power by which we live our lives and witness to this Lord to the ends of this earth. I've said often, our next chapter in our history should not be tell it from Calvary, but go tell it, Calvary. Go engage the city and impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning that uh, we, together with the Ephesians, can understand by your spirit how you have blessed us with a hope that this world cannot take away, the hope that far exceeds anything this world has to offer. We thank you that we don't have to find our worth in anything uh, that this world says that makes us worthy because you have already made us your inheritance. We are the children of God. If we can't find worth in that, I don't know where else we can find it. We thank you that your power that is at work in us is the greatest power there is, the power by which you raised your son from the dead and exalted him to your right hand and established him as sovereign over all powers. And you've given that power to the church in, in, by our union with Christ, that in his power we can go boldly by his authority to the ends of the earth and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord by our word and our lives, and you are pleased that through that witness you gather up people from all nations to yourself to renew them along with all of creation in the day that you have appointed. Help us, Lord, even as Paul, to rejoice in that power that you have given to us for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus and for your love for the world. And help us to be people who engage the city and impact the world with the good news of Jesus Christ that He is Lord of all, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It from Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org/give or call us at two one two. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.